Hey, Alex, guess what? 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 Tell me. We put out our longest episode focused on a single film uh, last week, and that was The Matrix. Really? I didn't think it was that long in the end. Yeah. Well, I went and checked uh, Eyes Wide Shut, because I remember yeah. that being an epic. Turns out the the recording was epic, but we cut out a hell of a lot. And, yeah. um, and there is only actually... Oh, I suppose there are two films that we've spent longer talking about. Mission Impossible Fallout, because we did two yes. episodes on it. Yes. And Terminator 3, because we did two episodes on that for some no, reason. <laughs> yeah. Terminator 3 or Terminator 2? No, Terminator 3. Why did we do two episodes on that? Because we had Andrew on, so we did a whole thing with Andrew, and then you and me basically did a whole other episode oh, afterwards. Oh, that makes sense. Anyway, this is all by the by. The Matrix is a film that we were very... Um, concerned that we put the appropriate effort into the conversation i think there's a lot more that we could have talked about we barely talked about the action at all no but we were aware that we got two more films to dive into the matrix universe and talk a bit more about that and we didn't want to you know go over ground that everyone else has has necessarily done i think that's why we made it more personal anyway when you put out an episode like that it's always gratifying to get some feedback and we have from Neil Cross, otherwise known as the creator and host of The Good, The Bad, and The Remake. Oh, nice fellow podcaster in arms. Yeah. So Neil says, Hey guys, Belton episode this one had some genuine laugh out loud moments. I didn't think it was that funny. I was worried that we were like... It's just all the... Being too philosophical. Yeah. All of that, isn't it? Probably, yeah, your your very good impressions what made people laugh, Ben. That's yeah. what it is, not Pro- me. Probably, yeah. Probably. It is fair to... Neil, Neil continues. It is fair to say I love The Matrix. My first experience, though, wasn't on the big screen. It was a rented VHS. Everyone in school had been talking about this genuine, cool, kung fu-style film. <laughs> I was very interested, being a man who loves that genre. I yeah. was not a sci-fi person, though. I am now. And I genuinely good, thought... Good. I genuinely thought I had the wrong film after he took the blue pill. That whole scene where he came into the real world, the embryonic goo, it was all a bit weird. I thought my friends were on a wind-up. <laughs> Needless to say, it brought me right back in. And having watched it again recently, I lean more in the Alex than Ben camp on this one. It is one of the few films I would give five stars without it being a masterpiece. Good man. Good man, of course. Everything agrees with me. agrees with me. Everything you both said, the flaws that it has, I agree with. But I love it, will always love it, and it is one of my favourite films of all time. I'm really looking forward to hearing your thoughts on Reloaded and Revolutions. I watched the former recently, and I'll hold off on the latter until nearer your release. Keep up the top podding, guys. Kind regards, Neil. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, the only thing I'll add to that, and I don't know if this is really on point, is... Um, I had an overwhelming urge uh, in the in the week or so after we recorded The Matrix to watch The Terminator. Oh, really? Like the first one, yeah. Yeah, and so the night after I'd rewatched The Terminator, I had an overwhelming urge to watch Terminator Two. Okay. <clears throat> and I think I can't I can't really define this, and it's probably not necessary to because we've spent a lot of time talking about the Terminator films. But I yeah, think go back check our episodes. Yeah, whatever the flaws are, especially in the second film. There is something about James Cameron's touch that I still feel comfortable saying five stars all the way. And I think that's what I was trying to say in like, I can't quite go there with The Matrix. I understand. I think I understand. Imagine The Matrix if James Cameron directed it. Definitely a film I would watch. It would have a very different feel. God, that would be interesting. But arguably The Matrix, you know, doesn't exist without The Terminator. Potentially, yeah. Um, and yet, you look at the influences; it, very anime. Oh yeah, that that kind of, and and that is what makes the Matrix so cool and different. Yeah, and yet, I'm not sure it would have been as good with the James Cameron touch. We'll never know. I guess we'll never know. No, unless he does the remakes in 2060. But it. But you see, uh, <clears throat> just last night, I carried on my Cameronathon and watched Avatar, and right. and obviously you have the sort of fiber optic cords that come out of the Navi's yeah. head and they plug into things. Yeah, it's right. very reminiscent of jacking in. It is interesting. It's jacking in, yeah. So I hate saying jacking in. Jacking off? Well, I hope you've enjoyed <laughs> jacking in to this little extra bit 
And if you're one of those people who likes to jack off listening to us, I hope, <laughs> hope this has been satisfactory. Yep, it's okay for Ben. It's not okay for me. Good cop, bad cop. Anyway, enough enough nonsense. Let's. Hey, Alex, why don't we talk about the postman? Yeah, man, it's a good idea. Hello and welcome to the Ornithology. My name is Alex, over there's Ben, Hello. and he has words to say, and so do I, about films. We talk about a lot of them, Ben, don't we? We do, and it's difficult to know why we are here today, Alex. What are we doing? What possible... It's really difficult, possible really difficult to know. <laughs> ...good are we going to do? Because this I isn't the Keanu Copia. No. It's not Forgotten Films. No. Definitely it, not. It's something else. And if you maybe maybe this is a should be forgotten films. I'll tell you what this is, what? and it will become a this this will become a, apparent as we go deeper into this episode. We've talked about the Cruiserverse. Mm. We talked about the Keanu verse. Mm-hmm. We have now deep into the Ornithology verse. What just an all encompassing everything that Alex and Ben talk about verse. This is the. The omniverse. This is the verse that all the other verses live in. The chapter in verse, if you will. Yeah, not bad. <laughs> it's a good Shakespeare, kind of Shakespeareish thing you just said there. Shakespeare! Yes, old <laughs> Billy Shakespeare has uh, reared up his head again because today we're going to be talking about a film that we've made many references to over the last few years, more so in the last few weeks. Kevin Costner's magnum opus. The Postman from 1997. It was destined. Well, we were always we were always going to do it. Well, were we though? Well, why are we doing it? I have no idea. Uh, I was all geared up to talk about the replacements this week, which is the next Keanu Reeves movie. And then yeah. two nights ago, um, you said, "Let's let's do it." I'm going to watch The Postman. Let's just talk about it. Yeah, we we have to. It's built up too much. Every single time it comes up, came up on Little Buddha. You asked me, is the Little Buddha my The Postman? Yep. Um, and it's just The Postman and Little Buddha happen to be these films that Ben and I just keep watching and they're not particularly good over the years. And I just thought, it's only fair that we do The Postman. It seems that your challenge had been accepted. You made a challenge a few, a few episodes ago. Yeah, I did. So the for anyone who doesn't listen to all of our stuff, and I, what? Think, I forgive you. I forgive you, not, but you really should go back and fill in the gaps. There's some start from the beginning. There is some gold. Start from Hercules in New York. There was a story that I told. I think I told it a couple of times that for some reason Kevin Costner's 1997 film, The Postman, a three-hour movie about not very much, has uh, reared its head into my life many times over the last twenty odd years, and I have an affinity for it that I can't really justify. Um, which is something that's very important to me, being able to back up my opinions. The Postman is the exception that proves the rule. I, I can't really justify my love for this film. And that's what I want to kind of get through. Here, here's the interesting thing. I think I get it. Okay. Well, that's what I want to hear. So I think I now know, I know you quite well. All right. 20 years, man. 20 years. Okay. It is. Yeah. Almost, almost exactly 20 years. Yeah. Um, well, this is like an anniversary bonus episode then, let's say. Okay, fine. Yeah, the last time we'll ever speak. Twenty years, yes. we've we've done enough. Nailing nailing the coffin. Let's get on with our lives episode. now. It's the na- nailing the coffin episode. Let's go our separate ways. It's the farewell tour. Yeah, Adam can finish off the ornithology for us. Yeah, that would be great. Adam and Richard will just team up. Get Rob Marland in as well. <laughs> Amazing. I think that Adam Stolfo and Richard Moore. I'm challenging you. Do an ornithology episode without us. Just do one. Let's just team up. Just do one. Pick your favorite ornithology film from the past. One we've already done, or one we're gonna do. Yeah, I was gonna say do one for the future. <laughs> do do one do one that we're gonna do. We'll see it like let's see. Let's have an ornithology. Yeah, off. let's see if you can capture that magic. Yeah, that we work so hard at. Yeah, an ornithology off is about as it's like a Shakespeare off, isn't it? M- m- well, no, not really. I was going to say maybe. I was going to yes and you, but no. Would it come across Shakespeare Ross 
They're just like dance battles or happens rap battles, aren't time. they? Yeah, happens all the time. A horse, a horse, my kingdom for a horse. Now you go. Um, once more onto the breach, dear friends. Unto the breach, but doesn't once matter. more onto the beach. In the in the postman, doesn't matter. You can change it. It's true. So look, I'm gonna just briefly precede the plot for the for the legion of people that will not have seen this movie. Off the success of winning a Best Picture and Best Director Oscar for Dances with Wolves. Dances with Wolves. Yeah. Yeah. Classic. I was going to say Keanu Reeves then. Kevin Costner allegedly co-directed the most expensive film ever made at that time, Waterworld. Although Kevin Reynolds is credited for it. Yeah. The rumor is Costner did a lot of it too. So Waterworld wasn't the big failure that a lot of people like to make out that it was. It made money. No. Yeah. Um, but it was just, I think it was the first $200 million movie and that, well, maybe it wasn't even that, maybe it was just over a hundred. Anyway, it was the most expensive movie made at the time. Three years later, here we are with The Postman. This is an adaptation of a novel that takes place in 2013 after the United States has fallen into disrepair and chaos. And there is a band of fascistic army types. They're like a they're, they're like, a militia. They're, they are a militia, but they seem to be better organized than that. Well, yeah, because there's nobody else. Yeah. They're, they're it. So there's no they're government. It. There's no. There's not really any law. It's gone back to frontier times. And they're, at least in this region anyway, you can assume America's massive. Like, yeah, yeah. it's really big. Yeah, yeah. There could be pockets of governments popping up here and there. You wouldn't know. Sure. You're not going to travel the, like, month it takes on horseback to get to the different places one of the ideas that the film presents which i very much like to talk to you about in a minute yeah we'll, we'll get to fascinating it. to me um yeah. kevin costner is a nomadic a character who trades his knowledge of shakespearean verse little performances in, in encampments and villages and stuff for food and keep and then he moves on his way and he becomes enslaved by the evil general bethlehem played by will Patton. Yeah. um they have shakespeare offs Eventually, he escapes and he finds <laughs> he finds the body of an old postman from the before times and a bag of mail, and as a grift, uses it to gain access to a town, saying that the United States government has been reformed. They're trying to reopen the postal routes, and yeah. this is the reunited States of America. And so yeah. word spreads, the postmen are what is going to restore order to America. And General Bethlehem does not like this. And he goes hunting the yeah. postman. And it's very, very late in the film, Alex, before he realizes that his rival, the postman, yeah. is in fact the man that he called Shakespeare. The Shakespeare offs. Yeah. That's a, that's a pretty good summary, actually. I, I give you credit for that. Because this film, it takes a very long time. To, to get to that each of those points it's a three-hour movie remember that yeah if you dare if you dare watch it and at the same time didn't mind this is the magic of the film this is didn't today it's a sunday movie having a relaxing morning knew i was gonna watch it put it on don't have much else to do today pretty good pretty, pretty good movie to have on in the background what's going on ben i don't know you're looking at me with side eye what's going on yeah, the magic of this film, it's... Well, this is the thing. There's, there's a lot more There's a lot more to it than just that little summary you just gave. Is there, though? No, there's a bit more to it. There's certainly trying to be a lot more to yeah. it. So there are, two, there are two ideas that the film has mm-hmm. that I really like. Yeah. One is using the post office, which is, a, is an office of government, you know? It is. It's almost like you could have said, I'm a policeman or I'm a fireman, you know, and he went with postman instead. So opening up the the communication routes as a way of saying, we are going to start connecting as a larger community again to reform a country. That's a cool idea. It is a cool idea. It's the only advantage they have in the end against this militia. Sadly, in America at the time this film came out, Postman is one of the lowest positions you could hold in society. It's yeah a step above being a garbage man. But okay, so you'd think, and he even makes he even makes a joke to it. There's a joke that dogs always go after the postman, right? Yeah, I'm not sure if we have it here. It's certainly in America. Yeah, and yeah, 
you know you have to leash your you have to leash your dogs while while I'm here um and it's kind of the thing that's interesting about the film is that it starts off like when he's first the postman you look ridiculous yeah kevin costner you look ridiculous with your mailbag in this post apocalyptic world and we are going to shoot you in 3 seconds if you don't prove to us why being the postman is of any interest or value to us and the sheriff of this town he doesn't believe him he's, he, daniel van Bar- daniel van bergen yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah i like him yeah. seeing him in a bunch of stuff Malcolm always, he's one of those what he was a big part in Malcolm in the Middle. Right. And he's in Super Troopers. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's one of those characters, one of actors you just... Ah, that guy. Daniel Von Bergen is, if you can't afford J.K. Simmons, that's the guy you get. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's... But interesting enough, so is another guy. Who's, I think his name is Mercer in this. Um, he's one of the generals. Uh, one of the generals, like, top James Russo. entourage. Is that his name? Yeah. Not the not the mute guy, no, not the mute guy. S- Stallone, he's the he's a poor man. Stallone, that guy. <laughs> <laughs> I kept, every time it cut to him, I was like, "Is that?" No, it's not. It's is not that Stallone. Danny DeVito Stallone? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's exactly what he is. It's a mix between Danny DeVito. No, James Stallone. Russo is a great actor. He's um, he is. He's he, in a bunch of stuff as well. Yeah, he was in Beverly Hills Cop. He's actually the guy who gets that's killed right. in Beverly Hills Cop that drives Axel Foley to to LA. He's also the bad marshal that's in Kevin Costner's Open Range. Ah, yeah. Right. So obviously they've worked together a few times. Open Range. Open Range is amazing, by the way. We should do an Open Range episode. Always should be mentioned. Another film that I watched recently. The other idea that I like in the film is simply by saying that there is a president and a central government. That's the thing. That's the kicker. It's not, oh yeah, I can deliver mail to your loved ones. I mean, that's also like a really big hook. Sure. Yeah. And and not just not just mail. Mail from people that have died in the years since. You know, so it's an artifact from a lost time. That's really cool. His opening gambit is he has actually found letters. Um, yeah. On, on the corpse, a, a, a full-on skeleton. Now, I don't know how long it takes a body to decompose. Four years, maybe it looks like. Yeah, there's no, years. there's not a tiny bit of flesh left on that skeleton. But yeah, the idea that just by saying that the centralized government is starting up again, did you did you get the joke about the president's name? By the way, Starkey, Richard Starkey, Richard Starkey, no, Dick Starkey. That's Ringo Starr. I did not know that. And he says that quote: "Things are getting better. They're getting better all the time." Oh my god, that's a Beatles lyric. <laughs> Stuff's getting better. Yeah. Okay. I didn't I didn't get that at all. And yeah. of course that's there's this must be Kevin Costner's like just he's I, I do you get the feeling that this is loaded with loads of like just little bit humorous bits that he wants to put yeah, bits that he thinks are funny though. Yeah. The, the this is a dad joke film. Yes, it's a very and dad this, movie. It's a dad movie and he puts his own daughter in the movie too. Uh, all of his kids. All of his kids are in oh, the movie. Oh, are they all in it? Yeah, I just yeah. saw I saw um Annie Costner is that it? her name in this is Ponytail, right? Yeah, she yeah. looks. It's the, she's the scrappy kind of post girl who yeah finds him post person, post person. <laughs> yeah. She's a girl. Yeah, I, I would go further and say this is a, this is like the dad joke movie. I think yeah, Costner was about forty one, forty two when he did this. Right. I think in place of buying a Lamborghini. The postman is his midlife crisis writ large. That I makes sense. It fits. But the thing is, I'm showing my age. I was giggling at a lot of the jokes because well, they were shit. Uh, that's because fine. they were shit. That's fine. And, uh, but but one or two just got me. One or two were like, <laughs> and I was like, oh right. Yeah, I will um, say there are numerous points in the film that I laugh. Yeah, I don't know if they're necessarily the jokes. It's, they're not the they're not the time they're not the times that Kevin Costner wanted us to laugh. No, let's put it that way. And you know, so there's a reference to Beatles. Tom Petty shows up at the end as Tom Petty, definitely as Tom Petty. Not credited as Tom Petty, but should have been. But he says to him, "You're I know you. You're famous. Well, I used to be." So can we get an ornithology verse ding for this? One of Tom Petty's songs, probably the only one I know, "Free Falling." Okay. Is the song that 
True. Uh, yes. Tom Cruise. Joe Maguire. And Joe Maguire. That's an ornithology dink. Okay. Ornithology verse. The, the idea that I like is that by saying that the government has restarted, you create a sense of unity. Hope. Uh, yeah, and it's or, or hope, if you will. It's huh? it's, it's going to come back later, isn't it? It's literally hope. Like it only exists because people believe it do, but believe it do. They believe it do. They do. But but that they that is the whole point of the film. Yeah, well, it's one you, of them. That's the whole point. Uh, it's one of them. It's it's the theme. The the little girl, the daughter, who's narrating the film, who appears at the end. Both as a woman in 2043, this film set in 2013, and as a baby in the final scenes, her name is Hope. Yeah. And, again, spoilers. Spoilers for the postman, guys. Uh, it's all going to get spoiled. <laughs> it's all gone. At the end, when he's uh, fighting Bethlehem. Ugh. It's like, it's all about, yeah, his, his last refrain is, I believe. I believe. He's beginning to believe. So, there you go. It's another... Ornithology vs. Link. I don't. This film. I don't think you can this say film belief has an overlap with, with the Matrix. Yeah. The Trinity Neo story is is paralleled, not identical, by the Olivia Williams and uh, Kevin Costner story here. Olivia Williams is just like Trinity. This is not the route I wanted to go with this episode, Alex. I know. Vito again. I know, man. I'm just saying. I'm getting out the way at the beginning. <laughs> okay. You're trying to you're trying to skip around this, aren't you? just you want me to get it out of the way tell me you're right i mean first of all you didn't realize when you sat down to watch this that it was that this was three hours long i had no idea what what did that feel like oh my god it was a kick in the balls seriously (laughs) it was a kick in my movie balls i i was i was just like 90 minutes just whack this on right cool i'll get out of the way we'll be recording he's barely even a postman by the 90 minute mark it was horrible man (laughs) it was horrible seriously I was like, ah. So I just settled in. Got my drink here. Just going to settle in, relax. Didn't have anything else to do. Nothing better to do. You see, that's what this film is good for. You're feeling in a bit of a red dead mood, but you don't want to (laughs) play. That's what you get. This is what you, this is the film you put on because it's quite beautiful scenery. Big claims. And that, yeah, you can see some of the money on stage. There are some fantastic shots. There's a shot. Um, Beautiful. That goes over. I don't know what sort of mine it is, or whether it's a quarry or whatever. Yeah, some kind of quarry. Yeah. Uh, there's these yeah. big piles, like pyramids of they rock. They look like py- they look actually like pyramids. Yeah. It's quite, and there's quite like a nice shot. Horses yeah. riding in the foreground of the shot. We fly over, and then there's this enormous Brilliant. quarry, like full of extras. It's amazing. Some of the shots in this film, by the way, are some of the largest ever assembled on film. Like some of the some of the locations were set up. To film across two miles, it's insane. Yeah, so he was no really CG, really as far going, as I could see, uh, very little. Yeah, um, yeah, probably one of the reasons this film was so expensive. But yeah, so you got through to three hours. Well, you know, there's that first forty minutes an hour. Yeah. Kevin Costner gets captured. He escapes. It's like, all right, I'm in. Yeah, what now? He escapes. You just think, why is this called the Postman? Yeah, why? Oh, and then he finds himself inside the, the jeep or the van of a of a postman. I'm still in. He just happens to dress up as a postman. He's moved by the letters. We've already established that while Kevin Costner's on the road, he talks to himself a lot. He talks to his mule as well. He gets killed. They eat him. They cook him up. This is, is the thing about Bethlehem's army, yeah? They're really setting you up to really hate all of them, yeah? They're horrible. Yeah, they really are horrible. Scumbags, yeah. Real scumbags. And I just thought they're a bit laughable. They're a bit funny when I watched it when I was 17, 18. I I really was affected by them this time. Honestly, I know that this film, this isn't a film that's like draws you in so much that you take it very seriously. But it, it's, it's just so hard like not to just really hate Bethlehem. And, and it's designed that way very deliberately for us to hate him so much. He is a caricature. Oh, for sure. He's not. In any way, it's not that you don't get the sort of rich villainy that you get in something like uh, Breaking Bad, for example. There's no backstory. We don't really understand why he's the way he is. We just see him as some kind of scumbag white supremacist. That's it. Yeah, I think if there's a parallel with his army, it's like um, a colonizing force in a way. Just going, raping and pillaging the natives. That's that's their deal. Except in this case, the natives are... The American people. Yeah, the whites. 
And they've got this thing where they're like looking out for any non-pures, non-purebreds, you know. And they don't, they're, it's weird, they don't give too big a, don't make too big a thing of it. But it's just, it's just in the movie. There's a couple scenes where they're like, no, this army, this army only wants purebreds. Yeah. And it is clear. But if this film was made today, it would have been made much, that point would have been made much more explicitly, surely. Yes. And if it were made today, as in this day, October 2020, we're in a very interesting point in time with regards to the American Postal Service. They have been attacked by the US government in order to prevent mail-in ballots as much as possible. So actually, the USPS being on the front line of democracy is a very real thing in 2020. So watching it now, it has a resonance that it could never have had two decades ago because we weren't in such turbulent times. In general, I'm not saying that things were peachy for everyone. It's another string to the bow of this movie in that there are ideas, there there are themes, concepts in this film that are worthy of discussion and worthy of talking about and thinking about. I agree. (laughs) <laughs> and it, it makes me love it more and more and more because I think someday <laughs> it might actually be recognized as a lost masterpiece. Yeah. The more the more we the more the strong words society crumbles, the more important the postman will become. This is my theory. So this film until this year would have been quite corny. It's still corny. It's still corny, yeah, that's true. But still, this year I'm like Sign me up to Kevin Costner's Postal Service. There's something really nice. These values. Ford, Lincoln, Mercury, yeah. right? Lorenz Tate. What an adorable character. He's great. Yeah. yeah. Ha- like, there's something wrong with you if you don't fall in love with him. I mean, you might find him a bit cheesy again, and strong-spirited. And yeah, there's something about it. There's something about that character. It's like, like he's got the appropriate amount of fight in him. He's got the appropriate amount of spirit. Yeah. He's a little bit young. Yeah, he's young and naive and idealistic. Maybe going to take it too far. There's one moment in the film when I'm cursing him. It's like a bad, bad military move. Like he put everyone's lives in danger by like, I'll show him and sending these bodies back to Bethlehem. Right. That's that. That really got me. I'm like, you dumb kid. And Kevin Costner even has that same reaction. Yeah. This feels like a perfect time to mention my second favorite line and line reading in the film. Will Patton, who, as I've said before, deserved awards consideration for his performance in this film. He is the one thing in the film that is legitimately great from start to finish. They've been attacked. They've got the bodies back. Maybe it's a different scene. I can't remember. But they, they have definitely been attacked. A flaming car has been sent into the army's camp. And Will Patton screams into the forest. I'm just going to move my mic back a little bit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if he wants a war... I'll give him a war! You like that? I love it. His delivery of it is brilliant. I like Will Patton's kind of... He's got kind of like almost... Like a whistle. Every time he talks. Yeah. He's got this kind of... He's got gravitas and he's he's menacing only because he's psychotic, not because he's menacing. There's even that poster that's going around, which might as well say this guy has... Uh, little man syndrome you know i just he, i agree with you he's the best thing about the movie one of the best act performances for sure i just think if he wasn't caricatured if we if we understood a bit more about why he's the way he is it would have it would have made it that much better what do you need to know right he's a closet gay he's impotent he's even less important than a postman before the war you know He's taking all yeah. of his frustrations out on anyone he Everyone can. Everyone else. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's there. It's written into it. All right. So, I'm sorry. Should, you know. Back off, pet man. Peeves, Back off. Pet peeves. Pet peeves about Postman. Uh, I could know, but I could see I could, I could see where you're coming from. Like, listen, this film, what you're trying to say to me is that this film's a grower, not a shower. Is that what you're? I don't know. I honestly, I can't really just, like I said, I can't really justify my love for it. I well, think no. there's something about it where yeah. the the source material is both rich and hokey at the same time. And hokey is the word. Yeah. The author, like his intention when he set out on it was he wanted it to have something more substantial about it. 
and he wanted it to to be hopeful and say that there is an inherent community and goodness in people that in the end will win out over chaos one of the films that he referenced when he sold the the rights to this he he said he wanted it to have some of the feeling of field of dreams whoa okay so then when kevin costner you know bought the rights or whatever Mm -hmm. or was or was optioned it that's the word i was looking for he was over the moon because he was like costner is the man he's going to bring the grandeur of dances with wolves and the sentimentality of field of dreams and in though both of those intents you can see that's kind of there yeah It's, it's there the the problem with the film much as I'm loath to say that it has any faults or flaws, <laughs> is it's so incredibly earnest. It's so yeah. well, hang on. saccharine sweet That's at times. not my problem with it. That's the thing. And this is either something's happened in the, since the time I first watched it. So I have not seen this film as many times as Ben. I first watched it, again, when I was 17, 18, 19, I don't know, around the time it came out, maybe a couple years later. And I just was so bored and I hated it. I, w- I would have given it one star. Mm-hmm. Watching it this time, what you said is m- maybe a flaw of the film. It's the earnestness that carried me through. Yeah, it's the it's the hopefulness that there are there are hour long stretches, forty minute stretches in in each act of this film where you where you could just go, oh come on, come on, I get end. it. Like I get what this section is about. Just make it a montage, please. I don't care. That's what people who listen to our podcasts say. Is like, that is I get it. Move on. Rate it. Tell us whether we should watch it or not. Come on. This film, it got me because I was I wanted to see, and it was trying to show me there is there is a more kind of realistic, grounded way that this fight is going to play out. It's not just going to be Kevin Costner, the hero. This isn't a Schwarzenegger film. This isn't, he's not no. going to be some kind of super spy with super skills and he's just going to kill Will Patton in a triumphant way. And so that comes back to what I was saying. It's like actually the whole film is about values. The whole film is about how a story can change everything. And he's the, he's the anti-hero, right? He's this unassuming hero. Like he's a, he's a bit of a scumbag, really. He's a coward. Yeah. To be, yeah. for, for most of the film, he's a coward running yeah. away, just looking after himself. It's only in the final act that he has any sort of courage at all because yeah. the people that he reluctantly cares about are dying and he realizes that he's responsible. So it's only at the end that he actually steps up. And what I love, yeah. actually, again, yeah. so actually, all the good and bad in the film is summarized in the finale in that there's a, a brilliant moment where Bethlehem's army and the postman army, whatever you want to call them, right? They meet together on a field like Gettysburg, okay? Yeah, and, exactly, yeah. And there's going to be this big face-off. And the postman says, why should these people... I don't know the exact line, but there's no need for all of these other people to die for the conflict that's going on between me and you. And yeah. it's always a rule of Bethlehem's army that any man can challenge for leadership. Yeah. So I used to be a part of your army... I'm going to challenge for leadership and it ends here, right? Yeah. It's between two men, not between two armies. The problem is that fight is fucking awful. It, one of the worst it's, shot It's not things. a good climax. It's terrible. It, to, to, the, to everything, you've been waiting for two hours and 40 minutes for this. And what you get is like some, it's building up. They're going to charge each other. They're both on horseback. Some lame leap off the horse i mean it's what it's what two middle-aged men rolling around in mud should look like weird weird joust kind of thing but it's done with this really overzealous like slow motion and the the score swells in triumph you know and all of this yeah and when i'm talking about the over earnestness of the film i think there's a difference between lorenz tate like giving it his all and saluting and recruiting all of his men like and this is something to believe in yeah that stuff's fine all good. When it's the slow motion, oh, I missed the kid with the letter and I'm riding back to get his letter, that is unbelievable amounts of cheese that will give you a heart attack if you dare ingest it. Yeah, pretty much. That's the over-earnestness that I'm you talking know, about. You know, the taunt the taunt that he gives just before that fight, 
you're not a general. You're not even a good painter. <laughs> what? And then he says, he says, like, you're trying to goad me into a fight? It's like, you're literally both standing with your armies behind you. Yeah. Like, what's going And there's so much oh, of it. It looks that. like somebody wants to fight. There's so much of that. Like, Will Patton's there, like, he's looking out at the horizon. He says to one of his one of his men, What what's what do you, what do you see? What's coming? He's like, Women and children. There's a lot of them. It's like, how many? It's an army. And his his general's like, he sat up on a horse, so maybe you think he's got a vantage point or something. He's looking out on the horizon, squinting. Well, Patton gets out some binoculars and goes, yeah, verifies. Like, yeah. oh yeah. It's like, you look look through your binoculars. There's so much of that that you cannot watch this film with that mindset. You you will be really disappointed. You cannot criticize the post-apocalyptic thing. Like, they seemingly, there's a big candle industry in this. Like, people are making candles like they're just making it, no, they're making them out of earwax. Don't worry about that. Yeah, earwax, fine. Earwax, horses, earwax, whatever. There's lots in it. It's like, you're not quite sure what the industries are that are keeping this place going, you know? Well, it's, it's not. No, but it's arable, isn't it? That's why Bethlehem's men assume. are a shit. The, these clusters of people are just looking after their own, like in Frontier Times. And then Bethlehem rides in like the baddie out of Magnificent Seven and just says, right, I'm going to take your food. I'm going to take your women. Oh, also, anything valuable, we'll take that as well. Yeah, why? Why is he called Bethlehem? Because you know themes. That's it. It's a crusade thing, isn't it? You know, must be. I put it down to that. I would imagine that when he was a Xerox repairman, his name was like Bob Jones, and yeah. when he decided to start or challenge for yeah. leadership, he was like, yeah. "What's your name?" Uh, Bethlehem. Yeah, that sounds good. Let's go with that. Be- Bill Bethlehem. <laughs> Yeah, just like just like Ford Lincoln Mercury, which kind of works. It's and then you see the name. sign that you see the sign he gets it off. It's like, yeah. oh yeah, right. Yeah. It's it's Ford cars. What would what would you go with? What would I go with? <sighs> Probably something like what's, what's your name, son? Like um, Zach Alexson. Uh, pleased to meet you. My name's Krispy Kreme. Krispy Kreme. <laughs> uh, yeah, Chris P. Kreme. The P stands for Phillips. Pretty good. Okay, if if we're going for brands, uh, eleven, eleven, like seven, eleven, yeah, seven, eleven. All right, seven. Fine. That's my name. That, if we're doing numbers, then hello, I'm one stop. <laughs> yeah, one stop. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm Spa, just Spa. Co-op Sainsbury Spa. My mum yeah. called me. <laughs> uh, English English references, American audience. Yeah. Uh yeah. Walmart. There yeah. you go. Walmart. Yeah. Good. We're doing really well, man. This is this is really smooth stuff. This is what people come to anthology this for. This is the gold of which I was speaking. <laughs> the gold the gold stuff. So this climax is awful. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's really it's really bad. And you're absolutely right to pick on to pick on how how that fight's so bad. For a movie that's one of the main messages is stories can save the world. Yeah. Which is, you know, looping background to the fact that he's providing entertainment for people. Kevin Costner's a storyteller. There's so much going on of why this film's so bad because he's putting too much of himself in it. That's what I think as a director, that's what's going on. You're right to call it his midlife crisis. I think there's, he's, you know, he's starring and directing in it. There's something wrong with it. The, the adaptation he's, is wrong. He's bought into the, you know, his own hype, I think. Like the postman is his own hype, and also he's trying to play this humble character, but he's actually a schlub. And Olivia Williams' character calls him on it. Olivia Williams, if you can't place the name, she was in Rushmore, she was in The Sixth Sense, but she was Bruce Willis's wife in Sixth Sense. Anyway, that's who she is. So yeah, and and like her character's interesting. You know, he keeps saying like you're weird. You know that, don't you? And it's like she's she's a little bit, but it's actually I kind of just liked. Almost everything that she did, like it all just seemed right and sensible to some degree. You know what she did. She's the practically minded person, and there's a moment when he still keeps doing his shtick. He's not really bought into his own um, story yet about how beneficial the postal service could be. They haven't even really discovered how much it had already spread um, once he once he uh, sworn in Ford Lincoln Mercury, and he's in this one town. Bethlehem rocks up and the town isn't going to 
they're not going to give in to Bethlehem. And and he's like, where where does this dissidence come from? Where where does this you know where are they getting their chutzpah from? The postman gets sent out, and it's a Superman moment. It's a Clark Kent Superman moment. He doesn't doesn't recognize him at all, which is ludicrous. It's so ludicrous. Just a beard. That's the only difference. He's shaved. He's clean shaven. There's something around beards and being clean shaven in this, which I can't put my finger on. I don't know what they're trying to tell us. But there's moments when he's got a beard on and he's he's one person and he shaves and he's another person. So here he is facing up against uh, Bethlehem. Bethlehem just says, you know, we're actually going to just kill all of you. So go back in there and tell them we're, we're coming to get them. He doesn't shoot him or anything on there. He's just ready for war. He's wanting war anyway. So he just needs an excuse. Basically. If he wants a war! <laughs> That's it. And so... What's amazing is that he goes back in, the fighting starts, and there is this moment, which it's so weird, like it just might be my brain, and because I've seen The Matrix like three times since we've been building up to it. He has the moment on the roof when Neo says, Trinity, help! Mm -hmm. And Trinity helps. Like, he doesn't say it, but he's he's about to get killed. He's about to get shot, Kevin Costner, and... Trinity or Olivia Williams shoots the guy in the head, and she's shooting a bunch. She she saves him. Um, Bill Patton has to run and hide behind some barrels, and if it wasn't for Olivia Williams' character, he he wouldn't get out. He gets out. Now, then there's this interlude. I think it's fair to call it an interlude. It lasts about twenty minutes, where Kevin Costner's shot. He needs to be saved. He needs to be nursed back to health. She does that. And then he kind of, he can walk. They're stuck in a snowstorm. They, they, snow has like, they're stuck there for the winter, basically. Yeah, like, like a cabin up in the hills, isn't it? Yeah. And she's doing everything. She's making food. She's nursing him back to health, whatever. And he's taking advantage of it, which just, again, he goes, retreats back to his cowardly mm. ways. When they, when they escape from this war, from this town, Kevin Costner's shot, they hide off somewhere. One of the troops loops back around, Bethlehem's troops loops back around to try and find them. He finds them and they have a kind of a like a face off, Olivia Williams and him, and she kills him, gets a switchblade off of him. That's the last thing that Kevin Costner sees before he passes out because he's lying there on the floor anyway with a gunshot wound. To me, so he can keep shaving over the winter, that's it's just for that. It's so he can get, he can grow his beard out, be a schlub, and then he can be clean shaven again. Wrong. It's so that she can threaten him with it. And he can fight her off with a spoon. Because that's what actually happens. It's a throwback to uh, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. I want to cut his heart out with a spoon. It is. Oh my god, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Kevin Costner, really, he had a good run, didn't he? For a while. Until this film. Yes, yep, he did. He was very big in the 90s. Anyway, I know you're not buying the Trinity Neo thing here. Nope. Uh, she is his saviour is all I'm trying to say. And he doesn't believe in himself, but he still does these heroic acts. And then there is this moment where it's like he's beginning to believe because he does take it on and he does then become the one. I think it's... That's all I'm saying. I think it's that's, more... That's I think it's... Okay, but I mean, look, hero's journey. I think it's more the guilt that people have died for him and that they believe in something that he started, you know, and he's starting to see it yeah. manifest. It's yeah. like, I'll fight for them. It's not... Well, that is the point of the film. I'll fight for the idea, too. Yeah, exactly. That's, the, that's this terrible fight. And so, again, to make my very long-winded point for a film that's all about story and all about how ideas are the thing that is going to win over this tyranny, which can't even be spelt correctly in the film, this idea is like, that's the thing that allows Kevin Costner to beat Will Patton in the end. They have this scrap, like it's anticlimax, and it's like, it would have kind of been worth it if... The fight could have told a story. There are some good films, like I'm not thinking of them now, where the fights tell a story. Gladiator. The Matrix. Gladiator. Gladiator. There you go. Where the fight is not just a fight. And I don't mind a yeah. film that's just a fight when it's that kind of film. But in this kind of film, that ending fight needed to tell a story about the battle that these two were going through. There should have been a moment when they get wounds in particular places. Will Patton's face should have been cut or something, you know? Because he's such a vain, you know, dictator painting self-portraits. And, and then he could have got his hand cut off 
or something. The hand that he delivers letters with, you know, and whatever. I don't care. Yeah. But some story in that fight to increase the drama, to have a climax. And then, but they're lying down hugging on the ground, basically. They're just hugging. They're spooning. I don't know how you shoot that and don't realize that you've got a, a, an anticlimax. Let's talk about open range again, right? You look at the right. last half an hour or 40 minutes of open range. Yeah. One of the great Western shootout climaxes, in my opinion. And yeah. everybody gets their due. Everybody. And, and there are, like, moral complexities going on in there as well. Like, yeah. he's going to shoot a guy who's already given up. And someone stops him and says, don't turn this into something bad. Like, there's loads of moments like that. How can the Which same guy... Which is kind guy... of what this tries to do. Tries to do. But yeah. not... No, it doesn't. It fails. What I'm saying, I don't know how you can even shoot that and think that you've got a winner of an ending there. No. <laughs> it's like... No. It's, it, well, it's like they ran out... They just ran out of time. It's like, we've got... The, time this, and money. The studio and, has seen the yeah. dailies. They now can't believe that they sunk £80 million into this, Kevin. You have to stop filming today. It's over. Like, we're going to edit this and put it out. Uh, well, I haven't... I haven't shot the climax yet. Just shoot something. Turns to Will Patton and says, Will, how do you feel about spooning me? Yeah. Will says, yep. Do some spooning. I can do it. Like, hear the lines. Maybe. It's like, great. Maybe it. there is some, some subtext that you and I just can't penetrate yet because the, we're not there culturally. And in another 10 years... That's your hope, man. That's your hope. When, That's when Carrot want. Top is president, we will know... When Carrot Top is president. We will be able to watch this and go, man, that ended. And, and aliens aliens have cured COVID. We'll be, we'll be doing a yeah. follow-up to this going, we will. how did we not see it? How how could how, we miss like, the how ending? How could we be so dumb? Yeah, how could we be so dumb? Kevin Costner is a genius. Rest in peace. He is a genius. But maybe we'll have to wait until 2043. I think that's the prophecy of this film. You reckon? Yeah, I mean, that, 2043. That epilogue bullshit as well isn't it like it's it, it makes it so much worse <laughs> not only have we been cheated out of a good climax then then we get this epilogue it's like what and in 2043 they've just basically returned to the 80s yeah shit clothes video video cameras like in 1997 we we're already moving away from from vhs tape right now okay arguably yeah. the world's been stopped yeah there's been some kind of millennium and you know 1997 98 this was already like y2k had already started people are already talking about what's going to happen in the millennium there was there's like there's going to be the end of the world i don't blame kevin costner for saying that especially off the back of Waterworld as well for him to go you know what i'm going to do another post-apocalyptic film and no doubt it's he's having his like you said midlife crisis getting older thinking huh life's gonna end huh better take everyone down with me he writes this apocalyptic film. Well, he didn't write it, to be fair. Whatever. He takes on this project, is what I mean. Yeah. And yeah, there's just so much on it that's like, okay, it's he's so easy to look back and go, you know, how silly. Like, no, 2013, no, the far future. Mate, mate, look, it was silly in 1997. I remember sitting in the cinema. I told you I went to see this on a date. Yeah. The girl that I saw this with was laughing at the film yeah. as we were watching it. Right. So it was silly. It yeah. was. Silly. I mean, it's not so hard to imagine that future now. I do. Th- is it? I do think this film has aged surprisingly well. Uh, yeah. It needs at least forty-five minutes cutting out of it. Change the date to the beginning. Well, that's not as twenty thirty-three. That's not going to fix and it. Change the date at the end to twenty sixty. No, it's, it's look. It's an alternate reality. It's an alternate timeline. I, the the, the twenty thirteen right. thing doesn't bother me. So Ben, do you believe in the United States like Kevin Costner does no. in this film? The values of the United States. So rather than just saying, you know, because it's a bit, I hesitate when anyone says I believe in the country. Let's be clear then. If you're talking about the... It is an American movie. Let's, so let's just let... No, but when you pass. say, do you believe yeah. in America? Like, that's a big question. If you're talking about the... F- I said United States. Whatever. United States. If we're talking about the, the fundamental documents of like, you know, the Bill of Rights, the Declaration of Independence, all of that, the First Amendment, you know, all, all great stuff. But we don't live up to them. We America doesn't live up. to America them. doesn't, and that's what's that's what makes a statement like "I believe the United States" difficult to swallow more and more. Now you look up the values of the United States, and people might argue these. It's fine. 
they're just kind of like academically established values in the United States. And they're usually, you're usually put into pairs, individual freedom and self-reliance. Those are the first, first two. Equality of opportunity and competition. Mm-hmm. So, and the last one, the American dream, whatever that is. I'm sure every American's got their own interpretations. Uh, and then hard work. Anything where you're where you're suffering and you find it difficult could be argued as hard work. It's is it good work? Is it valuable work? Does it benefit people? These are other secondary questions. It's earning your keep, though, isn't it? It's it's that's the point. Not exploiting others and not sitting back when others are doing more. And if we go back to the equal opportunities thing, let's say you're in a wheelchair, you can't necessarily do manual labour. There are other things that you can do. It's having the opportunity to do that, but then also saying I want to contribute. If I return to the values, that's what I'm trying to hear Kevin Costner saying when he says, I believe United States. And it's like, actually, yeah, a lot of the postman movement is doing that. And you could argue that everybody in the postman movement is trying to espouse these ideas. Um, Certainly, you could say, well, Patton isn't trying to espouse these ideas. But you could say that his movement is a twisted version of these ideas. He's taking them from a narcissistic point of view. He's reading into those values and saying it's his dream and it's his hard work and it's his equality of opportunity. Yeah, and, and he has to compete with everybody else. See, there's a cool thing, again, in that first 45 minutes or so, when he's laying out what it means to be a part of his army. Any man can challenge for leadership yeah. at any time. There's no need to have that as a rule. Right. And you think, oh, that's actually... That's pretty cool. It's very easy to say that knowing that you're not going to be challenged when there are a hundred men with rifles stood behind you. And that, again, is kind of a, a nice depiction. It's a very simple illustration of the corruption of power. And you can stand there and say, I work for the working man. I believe in you. You, look at me. You too could be president. That's the American dream. Pretty much what he's trying to do. That is the American dream. But you dream. better have a fuck ton of money and guns behind you. Yeah. And that's the distortion that I'm I'm calling out. And it's the chink in his armor, if you want. You know, it's 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 such a tyrannical philosophy. I mean, just in case nobody watches it, there's these eight principles and they all have this tattoo or a branding even. It's not a tattoo of the number eight on it. And it's not just, you don't just have a hundred men behind you who are, they're backing, they're backing you with these rules, and they're all just as scared of these rules as as you are. So going up against it is there is no reasoning, there is no, there's nothing reasonable about this force, and that it seems to be the only way to survive this force is to is to avoid it and play along. I think it is quite clever because at the beginning you're you're thinking a lot in those terms. It's put in such stark terms that you, that I was anyway thinking. The only way out of this is just to just to kill Will Patton, and he realize Will Patton even realizes later on that he's not going to f- defeat this idea until he kills every single postman. Yeah. It does no good just killing Shakespeare, you know, killing Kevin Costner, and you know he's book burning. There's allegory in that. I'm going to kill Shakespeare. You're going to kill the world. They are fascists. I mean, that's what they're supposed to be. The the, the symbol eight may as well be the swastika. No question about it. That's that is what this is. That is. Oh, by the way, not to get political, fascism's bad. It feels weird that we have to say that, but fascism is objectively shit. That so is just if we're going to take a stand on that's, it. That's my radical position that fascism is shit. Yeah, it, I I have to agree with you. Here's my thing at the end of the the end of the movie is anything that isn't Will Patton's militia in charge in the way they're in charge is going to be better yeah i would have liked to have seen how i don't know this is the way the film falls down is because it's just this it's the only place the film falls down (laughs) it falls down in lots of places there's this dreamy idea that like if we get rid of him and the then everything will be fine so so this is the very i think this is where the sort of the loose allegory to fascism and democracy and all that that exists in the film comes up against what Costner was trying to do, which is to have more of a fairy tale, a modern fairy tale set in the aftertimes. And you don't have to be specific about how to rebuild a country when you've got hope. One word, hope. That's it. Hope's enough, which is a very flowery bullshit kind of thing. 
brings me to my single favorite line in the whole film. Uh-huh. You give these people hope, postman. You hand it out like it was candy in your pocket. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. No, it's it's full. This film, every scene has a line like that, actually. Yeah, I'm so glad that you... I was worried that you'd disagree on that statement, that I'd be somehow betraying the nuances of the film by saying this film replaces Nazi rallies with Disney this rallies. This isn't a film that I like for its nuanced thought, Alex. Arg- arguably, yeah. Arguably, that of course, Disney values are favourable, but because they're not grounded in anything. He's a drifter. You can see he's got fantasy ideas. He He likes the idea of coming into town and wooing this beautiful woman and it's weird that she wants to have sex with him just for like healthy sperm but pause there we have to mention the sex scene one of the most painful like i felt like a child again covering my eyes when a booby comes on screen watching this on my own it's so uncomfortable (laughs) watching the sex scene between costner and olivia williams in this movie i think yeah it's a really horrible scene, I think. Yeah. Now, she can't have children with her husband. This guy with healthy sperms come through the town. They're like, come on, we want to have children. They're so in love. And I think the thing that got me the most in this film, now you might say it's Will Patton's performance. For me, it's it's just that the sadness of like that very strange and difficult situation where this couple who are in love, they love each other more than anything. Michael, like the next morning, that's Olivia Williams' husband. He's called Michael. She's called Abby. Michael's staring at Abby the ne- the morning after, and she's like busy doing something. She's like, "What? What are you looking at?" And he's staring at her. And there's this beautiful scene behind them, like the mountains and a lake and a forest. And he's like looking at her though, and says everything. Again, that's that earnestness that doesn't quite tip into cheesy. At least in that scene, I believe it. And I, the actor, yeah, really good looking guy by the way, like. He's got, he's got kind of like a James Marsden. Isn't it Josh from The Office? I have a memory that it is. It's, it's firing blanks. It's so hot. Yeah, he's firing blanks, uh, or you know, radioactive sperm. <laughs> at least you know. I don't know what's what the disease is that's going on. There were the the sadness is Bethlehem is trying to claim this prima nocta right of um, ancient sort yeah. of medieval times where lords get to sleep with wives on the on the first night of the of the wedding and because michael just says no like i can't i can't live with myself i can't let you do that he just kills him there and then i understand why anyone else might just say that's not a very important part of the film and i would agree it just is the bit of the film that really got me it's just it happens the day after olivia williams has just slept with kevin costner and she seems to be completely besotted by by kevin costner and yet she says later on, so it's like another hour later probably in the movie, I have been in denial, basically, that I've, I'm in love with you and I never thought it was possible to love two men. I, I only ever really love Michael and I've been keeping your arm's length because I'm, I do love you and I'm only admitting to myself now because you're going to go away. There's the grieving time. There's all this going on. And she's carrying his baby. She must be like three or four months pregnant this time. I just found that part of the film very personally very difficult i felt like it was an excuse for kevin costner to get get the woman do you know what i mean and i don't think he needed to get the woman well if we were doing the costner verse costner gets some more than tom cruise and keanu put together he always yeah he always gets the lead lady but i think what you're saying about how it felt james bondy almost you know i think what you're saying about how there's you know like a an interesting idea there that doesn't get resolved in a satisfactory way that's true of so much in the film there are these ideas as this conversation has brought up this has been a much more serious episode than i thought it would be to be honest alex but you've got two very good writers working on the script eric roth and brian helgeland yeah. have both done very good work elsewhere just going back to the, uh, the 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 fairy tale aspect of the film there's a quote from costner about this because he has I mean, I won't do the full numbers. This film cost 80 million. It made 20 worldwide. It's got an 8% on Rotten Tomatoes. So the <laughs> the critics really went after this. Interestingly yeah, though, now it has a 6.1 on IMDb. So people do really 
seem to like it, even if they're not crazy about it. So Costner was asked about it some while later, and he said this. I always thought it was a good movie. I always thought I probably started it wrong. I should have said something like, Once Upon a Time, because it was just like a modern-day fairy tale. It wraps itself up mm-hmm. with a storybook ending with the statue. You know, I thought it was a pretty funny movie set against the idea of a Superman, somebody stepping up. But in this case, it's a very humble guy who's nothing but a liar. Delivers mail, and he burns half of it just to stay alive. So, I like the movie. <laughs> That's what Costner said. Those are the reasons I like the movie. So, Ben, I haven't said it yet. You like the movie. I like The Postman. Yeah. Good. Everyone should. What the fuck is going on? I hated this film. I think it's a shit film. It's not a good movie. It deserves its 8%. percent But that's, I'm sorry, that's, it deserves it. But it also deserves the 6 That is the magic of it, is that... It's so weird. I'm, I want to find my uh, letterboxed review, because I wrote... The opening line was something along the lines of, there's no way I can give this film a star rating, because it is simultaneously 5 stars and 0 stars. It's yeah. You're, it, it sits in a very specific place where you have to be able to laugh at it, but it will also inspire certain ideas in, and thoughts in you. And that goes, if look at the awards uh, that this film was up for. The Saturns nominated it for Best Science Fiction Film, Best Actor, and Best Supporting Actor, Costner and Will Patton. That's so weird. In the same year, the Razzies gave it Worst actor, worst director, worst picture, worst screenplay, worst original song. It won all of those awards. And it was nominated for worst film of the decade. (laughs) Oh, my God. That's incredible. Let's see what Richard Mall thought about this, because I... Yeah, that's a good idea. So Richard Mall has been watching all of the films that we talk about week in, week out. I... Gave him the additional homework of watching The Postman, and well, well, uh, let me just uh, let me just intervene here. Ben issued a an an offer, if you want, to people to go out and buy The Postman on DVD, and if they didn't want their copies, that you would buy it back. Not true. Is that not, not true. Said? Not true. What did you say? What did you say? I said that if Richard Maul paid for it and didn't like it, he could invoice me and only him. Okay, I think you. I think you reneged. No, I, I think there was a there was an offer. There to was everyone. not. Go back and listen to the episode. Yeah, go right. back well, and listen I'll to chain reaction. An excuse for people to go back and listen. All right, fair enough. So what? I so this is how this episode got born when Richard took you up on your challenge and wrote into us a fairly lengthy email. Yeah, and I saw it, and then my first reaction was, I don't want any spoilers for the postman. So. <laughs> I guess I better watch it. Yeah, you don't, that you was don't it. want any spoilers for The Postman, that's for sure. No, so I guess I better watch it. And then I thought, well, if I'm going to watch it, we might as well do an episode and read out Richard's email. So Richard had this to say. So, I took The Postman challenge. The first thing to say, when I said on Facebook I remember The Postman as being okay, I misspoke. Or at least that turned out to be an uninformed opinion. <laughs> Turns out, I have never seen the first hour of The Postman before. Wow. Or the last half hour either. <laughs> so what he's only seen like an hour saw in the, the middle, middle bit yeah <laughs> opening credit surprises Tom Petty Giovanni Ribisi directed by Kevin Costner also what's with the lion it has relevance later but seemed to be poorly composited into the background I don't know about that I'm pretty Agreed. sure the, the, the lion was there but I don't know which is fine first hour of the film totally unnecessary could have established Costner was a drifter yep. and Bethlehem was bad much more efficiently in fact Agreed. when I watched it before I must have only seen it from the point where Costner finds the post bag and had no problem following the plot <laughs> however I did like the bit where they got the projectionist to stop Universal Soldier and put on the sound of music <laughs> right there you go is another that's another ornithologist uh, link quite recent one we would ornithology verse we would do it the other way around we would say stop the sound of music put universal soldier on to some degree but we there is a universal soldier link because of that we now have this crossover that we're going to do soon with the uh Dolph Lundgren podcast I must break this podcast by Sean Malloy yeah right so that's that's I couldn't believe we've just been referencing universal soldier and here it is Richard continues I quite enjoyed the middle 90 minutes Will Patton is good I quite like the costumes, yeah. but for 80 million, they should be good. 
The ending is weird. They spend too long building up to the final <laughs> confrontation, and then it's a real anticlimax. There you go. It's just, it's just two middle-aged men rolling around in the grass. I mean, yep. I wasn't expecting John Wick-level skills, but they just roll around. <laughs> they bigged up Bethlehem as this, he'll win in six seconds, and then nothing. Then there's the 2043 bit and the whole predictable, that boy was me thing. Sickening. He's wrapping it all up here. Man, this thing is three hours long. That's Lord <laughs> of the Rings long. It's shorter yeah. than Seven Samurai, but felt way longer. I suspect that the Postman being a book adaptation didn't help the length. Anyway, I'm glad I watched it, so I won't be asking for my £3.49 to be reimbursed, but I can't mm. see myself choosing to watch it anytime soon. However, despite not being a great film, I think it could actually make a good episode. There's a lot to talk about, good and bad. All the best, Richard. It got me. The magic of the postman is understood. That's all you can say. The magic of the postman. You can can put the postman on and watch it the same way that you can spend like four hours in, in, in playing Red Dead Redemption World and not actually do any missions. Yeah, this is the part of the video game where you're just wandering around, is what you're saying. That is what this film is. That's not, just... not a strong endorsement. Um, I'd also <laughs> I'd also caution anyone who goes into the postman thinking that they're going to get a Red Dead Redemption experience. You're not. No, I'm not talking about the story elements. <laughs> yeah, of Red Dead you're Redemption. not. Yeah, no, it's not the same. There's it's some. Same. It's just that world, you know. Simpler times. You kind of want it, and you don't. I'm romanticizing it. That's the fairy tale element, right? I think you're just getting distracted by the scenery. There's, yep. there's horses and mountains. That's it. It stops. Horses pretty much and... stops there. The, so the added extra little bit to this is is like 80 million in 1997 was a very expensive movie, and I can't yeah. quite understand how Costner managed to get a major studio to bankroll this at that level. At half the cost, I'd find it hard to believe, given that there are no major set pieces in this film. It's not an action film, is it? Not at all. How the hell did Costner get eighty million to make this movie? I don't know. He's a it, genius. Do you know what the people who worked on this film called it? And and no, they were very very careful to never let Kevin Costner hear it. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, coming off of Waterworld, they called it Dirt World. <laughs> it's a shit film. Uh, but, it's a shit film. But. I much prefer this to Waterworld, a film that definitely has its defenders. I find The Postman much more enjoyable than Waterworld. Yeah, that's, I've drawn a line in the sand. It's the end of the episode. Yeah. That's it. Join us next week for The Replacements. And until can't then... Wait. <laughs> yep. Stay being excellent to each other. We can't We can't say be excellent to each other. It's not, we're not in, the cru- we're not in the counterverse, man. All right. Can't say be excellent to each other. Okay. Keep your ranges open. And your world's watered, and your and your wolves dancing. And if you don't like the postman, well, to me, that sounds like fighting talk. And if you want a war, I'll give you a war. <laughs> <laughs>